everyone, I'm your host Heather and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I have to start off with a solid warning about today's episode. The recovery of the girls is horrible, awful, and all the bad things ever, and it is hard to hear. So last week we left off with Chris bombing his polygraph like an episode of Maury. The interrogators trying to get him to admit to anything, and then Chris asking for his daddy. We all know how I feel about small talk. So, here we go. So, Chris is five or six hours into this polygraph slash interrogation, and he is about to crack. He asks for his dad, who's waiting out in the lobby, and the interrogator asks Chris to please tell his dad what really happened. He asked Chris what he would tell his father if they actually brought him in, and Chris said that he would tell his dad that he loved him and that he wanted him by his side. Okay, cool. Fair enough. The interrogator tells Chris that it seems like he really wants to get some heavy shit off his chest and asks him to explain in more detail what happened to the girls. This is a pattern that's going to continue throughout this episode, but you'll see why. Chris tells the interrogator again that him and Shanann talked about the separation, selling the house, and she accused him of cheating, and he says that she had mascara running down her face. Which, by the way, would mean that she slept in her makeup, so not only did she not shower before getting into bed, fresh out of the airport, she also didn't wipe off her makeup. The interrogator gets back to the dad thing and asks Chris if they went and got his dad, would he tell his dad everything? And Chris agreed to. They go into the lobby to get Chris's dad, Ronnie, who is heartbreakingly enough wearing a t-shirt with Papa Ronnie embroidered onto it. Excuse me while my tiny heart breaks. They walk him back into the room where Chris's soul has been burning for the last six hours. And Chris asks if they're going to continue recording everything. And of course they say yes. But they do shut the door so that Chris feels like he has some sort of privacy. And, you know, fake privacy is actually one of my personal favorites. The first thing that comes out of Chris's mouth is, they're not going to let me go. And his dad asks why, and of course Chris blames his affair with Nicole. But then Chris remembers the tales the interrogators had told them earlier about the mom who smothered her kids and them asking if Shanann had done anything that he needed to rectify. And he slides into that as hard as he can. Chris says, I don't want to protect her. I don't want to protect her, but I don't know what else to say. She hurt them, and then I freaked out and hurt her. Chris is such a copycat that he can't even come up with his own lies. So many people who genuinely believe that Shanann did hurt the kids are unaware of how this theory had been fed to him by interrogators literally minutes before he decided that this was the direction that he was going to go into. And mind you, he initially denied it many times. But let's enjoy where this goes. Chris tells his dad, she smothered them. They were smothered. And Ronnie's like, they what? And Chris says, she strangled them. Which is it? Because there's a pretty big difference between smothering your children with pillows and strangling them with your bare hands. It literally took him like 1.7 seconds to screw up his own lie. And what kind of murderer doesn't know the difference between strangling and smothering? They clearly did not pay the extra for investigation discovery at their house. So his dad, like the rest of us, is like, did she choke them or smother them? And Chris says he went downstairs and he didn't hear anything, but when he came back up, they were gone. He still didn't answer the question. Chris says, I freaked out and did the same thing to fucking her. Um, you did what? Say their names and say what you did. 
Chris says, I freaked out and did the same fucking thing to her. Uh, you did what, Chris? Say it and say her name. He continues his confession and says he went downstairs but heard a little commotion upstairs and didn't think much of it. Then he went back upstairs and saw Shanann on top of Cece. Chris literally just said he heard nothing, but now he's saying he heard a commotion. This is the second lie he screwed up in a matter of seconds. Chris then repeats, I freaked out and did the same thing to fucking her. Once again, he can't use her name and can't bring himself to say what it is that he did to her. Chris then tells his dad that he didn't call the police. No shit, we know. So then his dad's like, did you just haul off their bodies or something? And Chris is all, I didn't know what else to do. Problem solving skill level, zero. I can think of so many other things to do. One, call 911. Two, try to resuscitate them. Three, drive them to the hospital. Four, drive them to a fire station. Five, run to a neighbor's house. Six, scream until someone assumes that something is seriously wrong with you and calls 911 on your behalf. Or seven, literally anything else ever. Ronnie tries to get Chris to say what he actually did to Shanann and asks if he choked her. He answered with, mm-hmm, that's just, it's rage. He then starts yapping about how she knew in her heart that he was having an affair and he just kept denying it. He says she wanted to go to counseling and he didn't, and seriously, why are we talking about the affair again? Then Chris tells his dad that this is the last time he'll ever see the light of day, which is nothing he considered when killing his entire family. Ronnie continues trying to understand why Shanann would hurt the kids and then tells Chris he's going to need to find a good lawyer to see what they can do. And I'm sorry, honey, but nobody can help you now. The interrogators come back in and you know that they have their party faces on. They ask Chris if he's okay and obviously he's not and nobody cares. They ask Chris again to go through the morning and he says they talked about the separation, blah, blah, blah. And... That she was like, the dinner was too expensive for just you, and he kept denying that he was having an affair. The conversation is magically over, and he says he went downstairs. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not. Shanann wasn't the kind of girl that backs down, and if he was going to go downstairs in the middle of this argument, she'd have been right behind him, continuing this conversation. Anyways, our resident liar said he went downstairs to pack everything up when he heard a couple things, but didn't think anything of it. He says he went back upstairs to talk to Shanann again, Lord knows what about, and says he saw Bella on the baby monitor sprawled out across her bed with the covers off. He says he just assumed that she was hot. Who takes the covers off to smother somebody? Anyways, he says the monitor cycled over to Cece's room where he allegedly sees Shanann on top of Cece. He says he freaked out, ran into her room, and got on top of Shanann. So now we have a human pyramid of Cece, Shanann, and Chris, which sounds super productive. Uh, Chris says that Cece was blue. Interrogators ask what happened, and he says, again, I did the same thing to her, a.k.a. he choked Shanann. But wait, with Chris's supersonic problem-solving skills, he says he then drags Shanann back to their room, puts her back into their bed, and covers her with a sheet because he just couldn't look at her and felt horrible for what he did. I'm sorry, but if someone had just tried to kill my kids and I killed them, I wouldn't feel bad for a second, but then again... We already know that Chris is a liar. 
He says he didn't know what to do. And I can think of like nine quick and more appropriate responses that don't involve tucking your dead wife back into your bed. This will also never make any sense to me. Why would you go through that effort? Why put a dead person in your bed? You now have three dead people in three different beds in one single house. He continues blaming Shanann for his fit of rage, saying both my kids were blue and they were just gone. But, I mean, he saw Bella on the monitor. He hadn't physically seen her. Spoiler alert, it was still dark outside at that point in the morning, and Chris admits that the cameras were still in night mode, which means it's in black and white. Chris had absolutely no idea that Bella was blue. He says, and then it's like, blind, I'm not that person. Like, she hurt my kids. Fuck. I had to do the same thing to her. Again, actually avoiding saying what he did. They ask where the girls are, and Chris tells him that they're gone and there's no bringing them back. We get that, but that's not why they're asking. The interrogator asks if they're at the first place he went that morning, Survey 319, that oil field, and Chris, I shit you not, says, right there, off the site, saying he picked it because it was the first place he was going to go that morning. Interrogators ask him where on the site that they're going to find the girls, and he's like, I didn't know what to do, I didn't know what to fucking do, blah blah blah. They ask him if they're in something or under the ground, and Chris is silent for the first time in his entire life. They asked if Chris would take them to the girls, and Chris very quickly told him there's no way he wanted to go there. Oh, really? Chris started to cry for the first time and asked the interrogators not to think any less of them. One, there's no fucking way anyone can think any less of you than they already do right now. Two, that's a lie. You're going to hate him more later. Three, When he finally cries, it's when he's worried that some strangers might think less of him now that he's admitted to killing his allegedly homicidal wife. So back to Shanann. Chris tells the interrogator that Shanann was on top of Cece with her hands around her neck, which would be strangulation, not smothering. He asked if Chris physically saw it, and he said yes, he saw it on the baby monitor. So wait, she wasn't still doing it when you got into the room? Literally the worst liar ever. Then he says he went into Cece's room and threw Shanann off of her. I thought we were doing the human pyramid, but now apparently we're throwing people. That's when Chris repeats, again, that he went into a blind rage and did the same thing to Shanann. He says he didn't go into Bella's room because when he put Shanann back into their bed, he just knew she was dead by the way she was sprawled out, even though earlier he just knew she was hot by the way she was sprawled out. Quick recap. He didn't try to revive Cece, he didn't check on Bella, he's got a dead wife in his bed, and that's where we're at. After he has Shanann covered in the bed, he then admits to going into the girls' room and grabbing their blankets and super-specific toys that he had listed in earlier episodes. Chris said he put Shanann and the girls behind the driver's seat in his work truck and then drove them out to Survey 319. I checked this out, and his work truck actually did have a very small back seat. They asked Chris what he was thinking, and he says, I was thinking my babies were gone, that I put my hands around my wife's neck and did the same thing. Uh, he should really think about copywriting the term the same thing at this point. He says she didn't fight back much because he had a lot of rage. He says he knew she was dead when she stopped moving. He said it was over super fast. So I looked this up, and I'm sure I'm on like 400 federal lists right now, but manual strangulation takes about five minutes to complete in order to cause death. So her not moving would not have been an immediate indicator of death. He put a lot more effort into this than he's admitting to. The interrogators try and butter Chris up and tell him that he's a good man for coming in and talking, even though he knew it would be difficult. He tells them he's not a good man, and he's right. But the interrogators tell him that his dad will always love him no matter what. And Chris says, 
How could he still love someone who killed their wife? Look, if you killed someone who was in the act of killing your toddler, I highly doubt you'd be feeling so guilty about it and going around talking about how terrible of a person you are. They talk to him about where he took the girl's bodies and tells them that anything he would do from there was just going to be just fucking insensitive and a horrible thing. And he is correct. Chris is adamant that they not have any of his co-workers go out to the oil field with them to recover the girls because they think of him as a good man and will ask him why the fuck he did this and why didn't you call the cops to begin with? Rational questions. They would ask rational questions. The police step out to grab a photo of the oil site so they can have Chris point out where each girl's located and they leave Chris alone in the room with his dad again and I kid you not, Chris says, the problem is I don't even know if they believe me or not. Of all the things, that is the garbage that comes out of his mouth. While Chris's dad is drinking the I know you'd never do this Kool-Aid, Chris goes and I quote, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to those two little girls? I don't know, Chris. Why did you do that? Riddle me that. His dad asked what Shanann said to him that morning during their talk, and he said that Shanann asked him why he wanted to give up on their marriage. Apparently, she also threw in a fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you. Good girl. He starts talking about the oil site with his dad, and his dad asks if they're buried somewhere, and Chris says, straight out of a nightmare, Shanann is... When his dad asks about the babies, Chris says, that's what I feel horrible about. They're in a freaking oil tank. I didn't know what else to do. I can not. I wasn't prepared. No one was prepared. I can't unknow this. Why is Chris so limited for options? Why is death and desecration like the only thing that comes to his mind? Don't know what to pack for lunch? Murder. Don't know whether to get premium or unleaded? Murder. You know whoever's watching this live feed just died and felt their soul leave their body before being revived. His dad sips again at the Watts Kool-Aid and tells Chris that he had no idea how unstable Shanann was and that his mother thought she was a bipolar unstable narcissist all along. Says the woman who felt like it was a good idea to give her granddaughter some nuts that she knows that she's allergic to or teach a three-year-old a lesson about the hard knocks of life. Get out of here. Interrogators come back with a drone photo that they had just taken of Serby 319 and ask Chris to point out where they can locate the girls. He points to a patch of dirt below the oil tanks and said Shanann was buried there and he said it took him like 20 to 30 minutes to dig her grave. Okay... He then pointed to the oil tanks and said, that's where Bella and Cece were. He writes an S on the patch of dirt and a B and a C on either of the oil tanks. Each girl was in a separate tank. This means that he took each of his dead daughters, one at a time, up two stories of stairs in the wide open daylight, opened the hatch at the top, and then stuffed them down an eight inch wide hole until he heard them hit the mixture of oil and water below one after the other. They never located the girls' blankies and toys, but Chris says he left them by Shanann's makeshift grave and assumes they blew away in the wind. But these are pretty open fields and police were using drones. If they were there, I have no doubt that they would have been found. If he took toys to keep with them, he'd actually keep them with them, right? 
not just plop them beside his dead wife's field grave in a black trash bag. By the way, don't trust anybody who buys black trash bags. They did, however, locate two black trash bags near the site. Not one trash bag full of toys and blankets, but two empty trash bags. Chris said that there was only one bag and it was full of blankets and toys. But here we are with two. And you know what else we have two of? We have two gorgeous little girls whose dad killed them and stuffed them into oil tanks. And it would be hard to transport three dead girls from the house into a truck as the sun's rising and people are passing your house. Wrapping one in a sheet and taking the other two out in trash bags would be a lot less suspicious, wouldn't it? They continue probing Chris about what happened since he's in the giving mood and have him go over the morning one more time. He says he heard a commotion and figured one of the kids got up. He went back upstairs to talk to Shanann and saw Bella on the monitor sprawled out, and when the monitor switched, saw Shanann straddling Cece and choking her. He said Cece was laying on her side. Who strangles someone on their side? He's saying Shanann pulled the covers off of Bella and then strangled her, and then went right into Cece's room and got right on top of her over the covers while she was laying on her side and strangled her that way? He later said her head was to the side and not her entire body. His brain is having trouble keeping up with the changing pictures in his head of what did not happen. The police ask Chris if he's cool making Shanann look bad if she didn't do anything, and he says, I did not hurt these girls. I did not hurt these girls. And yes, because I did not hurt these girls. He has yet to say their names. Police try to put together a timeline for that morning and a real one, not the crap that Chris had thrown at them all day. They asked if Shanann actually went to bed that morning after she got home from the airport, and he said all of that was true. So police ask why her credit card was declined at 2.30 a.m. when she was online trying to order some hair care products. Oh my gosh, they had that in their pocket the whole time. Remember when Chris randomly said that he didn't think Shanann was on her phone when she was in bed? Doesn't seem so random now, does it? So we know at this point she was at least still alive at 2.30 a.m. and happy and healthy enough to be shopping online. Like any mom, I'm sure she checked on the girls as soon as she got home, so the theory that he had killed the girls before she got home is probably unlikely, since 42 minutes into getting home she's online shopping. So we can assume that she gets home, kicks off her shoes, locks the front door, puts her suitcase at the bottom of the stairs, and either takes a shower and gets into bed and looks at her phone for a while or skips the shower altogether, looks at her phone for a while, and tried to buy some hair care products. But Chris is adamant that he had no knowledge whatsoever of her being on her phone or trying to make that purchase. So this got me thinking. She would have needed her wallet to make this purchase, right? And they found her wallet in her purse in the kitchen. So she would have been downstairs at 2.30 in the morning. So she either went upstairs and then came back down or she took her time going upstairs in the first place until after doing some online shopping. Sure, she could have had the card info saved on her phone, but remember those supersonic struggle-sniffing dogs? They hit on the bottom of the stairs, and since we knew she was alive for at least 45 minutes or so after getting home, whatever that struggle was wasn't immediate, and it means that both Chris and Shanann were downstairs together at some point, which he fails to mention ever. I can't imagine the struggle happened before the shopping, and they found her phone upstairs in the cushions of the loft couch, and spoiler alert, they also found that Apple Watch under a pillow on that same couch. It sounds to me like that couch has seen some shit, and whatever struggle went down, it happened after she tried making that purchase. Anyways, that's enough about my theories. Back to this confession. 
Police reveal to him that they know he was talking to his mistress that night while he waited for Shanann's flight to come in and ask him what they talked about. He said they talked all the time and that it was just about their day and that she didn't even know they were missing until she saw the news and that's how she found out that Shanann was pregnant too. Wrong. We know you told her to call you, then filled her in on what was going on, but at least you remembered that you were supposed to pretend that your mistress didn't know that your wife was pregnant. I mean, she definitely knew, but we'll get into that later. At this point, there are police at the oil site as interrogators relay the information Chris has given them. The small piece of the fitted sheet Shanann is wrapped in is actually sticking out of the ground and flapping in the wind. They compare the pattern to the sheet in the pillowcase found in Chris's garbage can in his kitchen, and they're a match, so they start uncovering her. About 18 inches into the ground, they find Shanann face down with her knees curled under her, wearing nothing but a t-shirt, bra, and blue underwear. Her arms are stretched out above her head, her head facing to the side. If you know anything about yoga, she's essentially in the child's pose. And if you don't know anything about yoga, pause this and Google it real quick because I'm not going anywhere. What caught me there, though, is that she still had her bra on and how many women sleep in their bra? Still wearing makeup? Check. Still wearing a bra? Check. But sure, she went to sleep. Investigators then head up the stairs to the top of the oil tanks and open the hatch. They call interrogators and ask if they're sure that the girls are in there because they can barely fit their arms through the 8-inch hole, but Chris says it wasn't hard to get them in. Chris is later asked if he had to squeeze the girls to get them in there, and he responded with, it wasn't right. There was blonde hair stuck to the rim of the hatch of the east tank. He said he had put them in feet first with their arms above their heads to get them through the tiny hole of the hatch. The only way to get the girls out of the oil tanks was to drain them completely and then go in through a door at the bottom and retrieve them. They started with the east tank, which took six whole hours to drain. When it was finally totally emptied, they opened the door and found Cece dead and covered completely in crude oil. She was still wearing her nightgown and pull-up. The oil decomposed her tiny little body so badly that as they tried getting her out of the tank, her skin began to slip off. Her tiny hands were degloved and sent to the medical examiner separate from her body, fingernails still intact. You can imagine what this means, but I don't recommend looking it up. After recovering Cece, they drained the west tank. Inside, they found little Bella still wearing a multicolored pink shirt and a pair of shorts. Both girls were put into the tank wearing what they wore to bed the night before, never expecting what was to come, and eager to wake up to find their mom finally home. I apologize for the nature of this episode, but it's a part of this horrible, awful story, and it matters. Chris is a monster, and what he did is the definition of heinous, but I promise you that for today, we're done, and that from here on out, the details won't be nearly as heart-wrenching. Next week, I'm going to walk you through the timeline of the 13th and what Chris really did, who he called, where he went, and how he tried to cover his tracks. Chris was ready to live his new life and had already tried to start it. If you love listening to this podcast, be sure to drop a five-star review below and subscribe so you get notifications 
whenever new episodes are released. And if you're getting true crime fever between episodes, be sure to tune in to my Instagram where I tackle a new mini case every Thursday at the Heather Ashley. Until then, we out.